0: Welcome to the Blue Stocking Baptist podcast. My name's Hannah and I'm here with Esther. So, today we're going to talk about contentment and how we find peace in all seasons because our hope is rooted in Christ and his gospel message. But before we jump in, Esther and her husband Joey just returned from the G3 conference that I believe took place in Atlanta, right? Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. <laughs> so, Esther. I wanted to know, since the topic was on missions, if you guys felt um, encouraged, what you guys took from it. Um, I haven't talked to you about it, so whatever whatever you want to share.
1: Yeah. It was really, really encouraging. Uh, the big push, I guess, like the overall theme of the conference, just besides missions, was not just like telling... The conference wasn't about just go, 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 like mm-hmm. sending out masses. It was more about um, being really careful of who we send out and um, making sure that we're not just commissioning rogue Christians to go and backpack across China and believe that they can basically, you know, save the nations. It's more, it's, it was a big there was a big push for the local church, like emphasis on the local church, the elders being the ones who, you know, examine missionary candidates before sending them, um, which was really encouraging for us because um, we we felt that was uh, very important whenever we were basically discerning whether or not we were called or not to mm-hmm. missions. Because we did go before our elders and, you know, ask, you know, for them to examine us and you know, see if we were really called. And then our missions agency was very, is very local church minded. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the, one of the big statements that a couple of the uh, speakers said was don't let the the tail wag the dog, meaning missions agencies are good and we should use them, but they should not be the head over missions because- Mm -hmm missions is the primary role of, of the local church. It should not be a, okay, here, here's the missionaries, you know, see when you get back type of thing. So it was, it was really, really great. And we got to meet so many, so many like-minded people. I mean, I guess the, the biggest question you had to, you know, you could ask somebody was like, are you Baptist or are you Presbyterian? That was about it. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. You didn't have to like, um, like, I've been to a a lot of conferences and concerts and things where you kind of had to filter everything, like the music, the speakers. You had to just, mm-hmm. you know, what is it? Um, Put your discernment hat on the whole time. And you're exactly. like on guard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at, at this, at G3, it was, you know, the, me- the music was wholesome. The speakers were great. Um, it was all primarily expository speaking. Um, it was... It was fantastic.
0: I'm really glad. I also yeah. want to hear about your awkward encounter meeting Jessa. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so, um, Joey and I, my husband Joey and I, went to the in between every session. They had free books at the back of the bookstore, so you had to walk, you know, all it's through a, the books like and, a
0: paradise. And you,
1: yes, <laughs> it was. It was. Fan- it was great. Between one of the sessions, we go to get the free book, and as we turn around, I see Bessa and Ben Seawald talking to Jeremy, starts with a V who married Ginger.
0: I think it's, is it Vulo? I don't know. Don't know. Yeah, it starts
1: with a V. It starts with a V. He's very, very tall, but as soon as I turned around and I saw them, I was like, oh my goodness. Like, you can't see my face through this podcast, but it was... <laughs> I was, I was like, that's, I've never you're seen like somebody like, Joey.
0: You're like, you're yeah. like,
1: <laughs> I was, so we walked like, I, I made Joey walk with me, like by them three times. Cause I was trying to like, get the courage to go and go and ask, like, like to introduce myself and <laughs> get a picture. And Joey was like, you're being, he's like, you're being such a creep. It's like, and you're then stopping you to pray.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. But uh, I did muster up the courage to go over, and I was like, hi, are you Jessa? (laughs) And she was like, yes. I was like, well, I'm Esther. Can I get a picture with you? (laughs) I could tell it was like super awkward for her because I get, she, you, as you saw, like her name tag was turned around, and I feel like, I didn't notice that first, but when you pointed it out, (laughs) yeah, so people don't, you know, come up to her like I did, (laughs)
0: As she was probably even saw you like circling her, like what is this girl doing? And then you awkwardly come up. You're like, "Hi." Um, I'm not gonna yeah. ask you anything else about yourself. I just want evidence. I just, just want evidence. And then I saw you.
1: Yeah, and then I was like, I was like, "This is my husband, Joey." And then it was just really awkward. And we were like, "Have a good day." But, but I will say, Joey had a similar experience when he was trying to get the courage to go and get a book signed by James White. So <laughs> but the the sad thing was like, James White was actually doing like a book signing, like you could get in line and, and he would sign a book. Mm-hmm. And so Joey goes to back to the, he goes to the car because we'd already bought a book and we didn't want to buy a book just for him to sign. Uh-huh. So he goes towards where the parking is and like 10 seconds after he like decides he's going to go, go get the book, like James White. And I guess his assistant, like get up and go into the conference. And I was like, see, you should have done it earlier. <laughs> yeah, it was great. And I loved meeting all the the girls from Theology Gals and a few people from the pub. Um, it was really good. It was the food there was super expensive. I will say if you ever go, if any, if you go Hannah, like in the future, pack, pack some peanut butter and jellies or something. Cause <laughs> there's nothing in walking distance besides like restaurants and hotels. Yeah. Uh, that's just my, my practical tip there is first off bring food, bring snacks, bring a water bottle, um, bring a backpack for all your books so you don't have to make 20 bazillion trips to the <laughs> car. Um, and make sure you put on deodorant because if you meet somebody, you may sweat. I'm just saying. All
0: go. right. Well cool. <laughs> Thanks for sharing Esther. We did
1: uh, and also we did we did brought we did bring home like close to 30 books. Wow. And probably 15 of those were free stuff. Like free books. That's so, so cool.
0: I love yeah. books. <laughs> books are my favorite. <laughs> I'm reading way too many. Well, okay. Anyways, we got to transition into this episode. So um, yeah, so we're talking about contentment and I'm really excited to talk about this topic because I've spent so much time um, studying and reading and listening and just, I have engaged with so many different resources and talking to different friends Um, and my husband was super valuable in my working through all of this but so I'm just really excited because I feel like we have a lot of content so we're going to start out with the words of Paul which are in Philippians 4 11 through 13 Um, This is going to be our main text that we focus on. It's the classic contentment text, and it's also probably the most misused text in the whole Bible, um, specifically 413, but we're going to read the whole thing in context. So (laughs) not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity, In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me.
1: I love that. I love those verses together. I actually got a book at the conference that showed how people misuse those verses around it, too. Oh, well, there you (laughs) go. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So some background on paul the apostle who is the author of um the letter to the church of philippi is that right
0: i believe so yeah
1: um to the church of philippi he was a man who endured much hardship and trials he even spoke about a thorn in his flesh that he begged the lord to take from him um, in second 2 corinthians 2:10, he says for the sake of christ then I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul was a man who endured much suffering, but he also knew the sweet gift of Christian contentment.
0: Yeah. And um, so we, we think it's important to kind of talk about what contentment is not before we discuss what it is. So my understanding of contentment was basically a fake it till you make it understanding. That you put on a brave face, and even when you felt like you were being crushed between two rocks, you said something along the lines of, I'm okay and I'm really happy, even though you feel just the pressure of life um, all around you. Uh, I kind of viewed contentment as only attainable if I was actually happy. So contentment was always eluding my grasp uh, because I was waiting in the sorrow and struggles of life. Uh, Some background on me, I don't have a lot of experiences because I am young, but (laughs) this was really impactful in my life. Um, I was a 911 operator and a dispatcher for three years while my husband was in college. I had two babies during that time, uh, worked during both pregnancies. And with my first, I went to go take nine one one calls two weeks postpartum. Um, I'd never answered a nine one one call before I delivered a baby and two weeks later I was answering emergency calls. So Hmm. very stressful environment. Um, I had a lot of hardship with, um, breastfeeding and sleeping and, um, my, I missed out on a lot of my oldest daughter's early days. My husband was her main caregiver. Um, she was born in the summer and my husband had the three and a half months off for summer vacation. But, um, I, I was just exhausted and, um, I felt overworked and pulled in every different direction. Uh, I, I was dealing with a lot of stuff and my job was hard. So I didn't, I didn't realize at the time how much my job was affecting me. I used to be like a really bubbly, fun person. And then I started working as a dispatcher. And over time, it was like, I, I became really quiet and almost had like this melanch- melancholy, like, I don't know if you want to call it an aura. Like I just, there, I just didn't look happy and I wasn't really happy, but I didn't acknowledge it either. So it was just mm. not a good time. Um, we lost during that time was when our church fell apart. I've told that story, I think in the, which episode was that the labels episode. And I just had, I was dealing with a lot I had a lot of discontentment and a lot of unhappiness. And the reality of what was happening was that I was letting the external circumstances directly impact if I was gonna be content or not. So my reasoning was if I'm not happy, then how can I be content? Because I directly correlated the two. Um, But through this study, I'm kind of realizing that sorrow and contentment are well acquainted friends and that acquiring happiness does not equal contentment. Because I mean, I was very much of the mind that if I stopped being a nine one one dispatcher and I could just be out of that circumstance, I would be happy, and I was a little bit happier, but it 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 was never going to affect whether or not I was going to be content. I was already discontent, it was a problem internally that being happy wasn't going to change um, because you just go from one trial to the next trial, and I had other difficulties that were different to now transitioning into being a stay-at-home mom. But from what I've kind of learned is that contentment is satisfaction in Christ, which doesn't guarantee happiness in all things, but is a quiet disposition in spirit towards the Lord. So if you're only content when you're happy, then some external source is generating contentment. But if contentment has to do with satisfaction and you are completely satisfied in Christ, you will be content. Um, if you only find contentment when you're happy with your life and circumstances, you will not be content and even when you think you are content, it's definitely not biblical contentment because biblical contentment is satisfaction in the Lord. I would like to say that you are a much i can't tell if you're a not
1: a happy person you seem like a very happy person now so. I actually not am happy not quiet at all <laughs> so just to add um to what what Christian was saying, what Hannah was saying, Um, Christian contentment, as defined by Jeremiah Burroughs and the rare jewel of Christian contentment as the sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, freely submitting to and delighting in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. He also says elsewhere that it is the inward temper and disposition of our own heart from any external arguments or possession of anything in the world. Which means that the Christian, um, that Christian contentment does not generate from some external source, but it's something that comes from within by the strength that the Lord provides. Just like in Hannah's personal example, she was allowing her external circumstances to dictate the inward disposition of her heart, where Burroughs says it's not some external source that affects her ability to abide in contentment. Contentment is the quietness of spirit. It is an acknowledgement when things are not so pleasant, but it still seeks to be quieted in the Lord. It's not grumbling or bitterness it does not harbor frustration or anger contentment is a response of gratitude even when the situation might not be ideal contentment is trusting in the lord and leaning on him in our weakness the word content found in verse 11 of the passage that Hannah read earlier comes from the greek word atarkes the definition can be found in the strong's concordance number 842 If you want to look that up, it means self-sufficient, contented, satisfied, or independent. I think the most important word in that list is satisfied. Uh, The definition of satisfaction is fulfillment of one's wishes, expectations, or needs, or pleasure derived from this. Synonyms are pleasure, gratification, uh, fulfillment, happiness, delight, joy, enjoyment. Real biblical Christian contentment we can reason, is satisfaction in the Lord alone. So being thankful for what He, what we have in him and not grumbling or complaining under his provisional hand that's what we would describe as uh, satisfaction. Um, I think we can see this more clearly in Hebrews 13, 5, which says, Make sure your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. This verse is incredible because it directly links our contentment with a reminder of our security in the Lord. We are able to learn contentment because we are able to wholeheartedly trust in the Lord and know that he will never abandon us. His spirit indwells us and gives us the ability to grow in this area, and we can cling to the promise of his faithfulness as we seek the beautiful treasure of contentment in Christ.
0: Yeah, so another verse that shows that the Lord satisfies our longings is Psalm 107, 9, which says, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things so our contentment is not derived from the external abundance of our wealth possessions health or anything else that would stir in our hearts great joy or satisfaction if we acquired it ecclesiastes 5:10 says he who loves money will not be satisfied will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income this also is vanity the psalm shows us that god alone satisfies and we are reminded elsewhere that money cannot satisfy, and that it is vanity to chase after such things. So vanity, um, the definition of vanity is either the excessive pride, admiration of one's own appearance or achievements, and it is also defined as the quality of being worthless or futile. So when we chase after temporal things like money, it can lead us to pride, which steals our affection from God and places our worship on self, which is idolatry. It is also a worthless pursuit and it brings no lasting satisfaction. So the striving after the desires of our hearts for momentary happiness only leaves us feeling empty and unfulfilled. Sure, we may be happy for a moment, but then once that moment's over, we're constantly craving for the next one to fill that void, which should be um, we should be filling with Christ. So there's no satisfaction in the temporal. This could include marriage, careers, housing, cars, clothing, children, retirement, and money. These things cannot bring us Christian contentment. And if we seek contentment in these things, we will never find it. We will be left craving for more and still dissatisfied and empty. So again, back to Philippians 4 verse 11, this shows us that contentment is learned. It is a learned characteristic that generates from within, regardless if we get the things we want or if the circumstances around us change so i really love what melissa kruger said in her teaching series on contentment it can be found on the ligonier website it was an eight um an eight series video series each each one was about 20 to 23 minutes long seriously i would highly recommend it it was 15 dollars. go and buy it it'd be worth your time um i learned so Mm -hmm. much and She has a really good way of explaining things. But Melissa says, learning is difficult and doesn't come without failure. So contentment is something that we cultivate and learn by the power of the Spirit through the reading of the Word. We are able to obtain contentment in Christ, but we need to discuss how. So first, since contentment is learned, we do not need to sit and despair over the fact that we have not learned it. If I looked back at my circumstance as a 911 operator and I had no contentment and I despair over my reactions that are the past, there's no point in doing that. I had never learned what real contentment was. I just assumed contentment was something that the world said it was and I had never actually really discovered what the Bible actually taught on it. I kind of just, I think it's more ignorance on my part. I just didn't really know, nor did I actually really ever study it. So, um, but now that I'm aware that it's learned, I can start to look at the scriptures and see what it says about it. So second, I think it's important to note that we cannot learn contentment if we're not in the word of God. So like I've already kind of said, Charles Spurgeon says, do not indulge any of you, the silly notion that you can be contented without learning Or learn without discipline. I think this is seriously so good and so convicting um, because it's a reminder that learning does not come easily and neither will contentment. We must discipline our minds and equip ourselves with scripture to reassure ourselves that we're able to grow in this area by the Spirit. So learning contentment could be compared to um, learning how to ride a bike. I know it's not the best um, analogy or example, illustration, whatever you want to call it. I'm not very good at illustrations, but when someone teaches you how to ride a bike, you have, um, you have to listen very carefully to the instructions they give you. You ask questions, you watch them, and then you mount the bike and attempt to ride yourself. You may fall off and you may struggle to keep your balance. You may need help. Um, maybe with someone steadying you and pushing you along until you're confident in riding alone. You eventually learn how to balance on the bike with much practice and discipline. You move forward and you put into practice what you learned. Growing in contentment is very similar. We read the word. We see the examples of what godly contentment looks like. We then pray for the spirit to help us grow in this area. We press on when we fail and we never stop seeking to anchor ourselves in the eternal God for our security and satisfaction.
1: So, like Spurgeon said, we cannot learn contentment without discipline. And First Timothy um, 6, 6, Paul said, godliness with contentment is great gain. I have struggled this past year with contentment when it comes to my marriage. I came into marriage as most of us do with plenty of expectations. I know that's something that like our marriage counselor or our pastor who did our marriage counseling was like, get rid of your expectations. And what did what do we always do? You're like nothing. You
0: That's great. No, thank thank you. You. I'm gonna bring my expectations <laughs> with me
1: in <to> marriage. <laughs> right. And I think we do that even, you know, without without even realizing it. So like um since we got married, I've had the desire to have children, which is natural and a good desire. Us being uh pre-field missionaries, the next year or so, let alone the next nine months of our lives is pretty murky. Um My husband's wisdom has led us to hold off on having children for the time being. Um, And submitting to that has been really um, difficult because, you know, sometimes you get on Facebook and you see lots of young moms, you know, sharing pictures of their babies or their baby bumps or the newborns and like a coveting spirit, like kind of creeps in and it, it gets really discouraging. Um, I've even had, you know, heard unmarried, my unmarried friends, you know, talk about how they plan whenever they get married, you know, to wait five, six, you know, plus years before they have kids. And it's just something, I just feel like, I guess that's as somebody who wants children. It's just a little, I guess, discouraging. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Like you, you're in the moment you really want children and then here's somebody who has no desire to have children. Right. No. And, and I mean, I mean that they could totally change whenever they get into marriage, they might
1: not change. And that's great. You know, that's good, that's good for think. them in a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's their, their, them and their spouse's decision, but like, it's just, it stings a little bit because right now we're in a position where that's not, you know, the wisest, um, decision so I've really you know struggled with with being discontent in that and wanting you know a family but having to hold off because of you know our ministry so I've struggled with these things Um, my desire I don't think is wrong Mm -hmm. but I also need to and I've had to learn and it's con I mean it's constant like up until this I mean really it's a it's a week by week thing that you know i i I tend to struggle with, and the solution that I've found to that has only been not looking to you know future kids, not looking to Joey for my contentment, but finding it in the Lord like mm-hmm. i mean joey Joey and I had a talk you know last night about how we need to strive to be satisfied with where God has sovereignly put us and to just basically. Handle whatever lot we're given, and you know if that means you know children come sooner or later, then we'll be thankful for that. And it's just been, it's been definitely a discipline, as Spurgeon said. It's mm-hmm. definitely something that's learned, and not something it's just like,
0: boom, here you go, here's some contentment. <laughs> Do you feel like it's encouraging to you to know that it's something that you could learn. Or- yes,
1: yes, I think. I think if it wasn't something learned, then, and it was, I guess it would kind of like, you know, pop up overnight, I guess it'd be a little bit more discouraging, but knowing that, you know, every Christian before me has had to learn contentment, that's encouraging. (laughs) And remembering that, you know, our treasure is Jesus. It's just, you can't help but you know, to, to rest in him for, for our needs and everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, and having, having children won't fix, would never fix a discon- discontented heart.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When and if we have children, I will only find something else that leaves me feeling unfulfilled if it's not that. Matthew Henry said in a, in a commentary on Philippians 4.11, let's pray for patient submission and hope when we are abased for humility and a heavenly mind when exalted. It is a special grace to have an equal temper of mind always and a low state not to lose our comfort in God, nor distrust his providence, nor take any wrong course for our own supply in a prosperous condition not to be proud or secure or worldly. This is a hard lesson than the other. For the temptations of fullness and prosperity are more than those of affliction and want. I really, I really, really like that because though it's a little bit over my head, I did get. A lot of it. Ju- <laughs> a lot of it. I hope, I hope we can all get a lot of it because, you know, basically you saying, you know, resting in God's sovereignty there and then taking joy in the Lord.
0: I really like what he says. Um, the equal temper of mind always, and in a low state, not to lose our comfort in God. I really like that part because even if you're in a really bad situation, we still have that comfort in God. Um, and then like in a prosperous condition, not to be proud or secure or worldly. So like not thinking that we can live on our own, not being secure in the worldly comforts, but knowing that like God's still sovereign and watching over us. And, um, I mean, the, God's character is what teaches us contentment because if God wasn't sovereign and all-knowing and all-powerful and all the, all the attributes that are God, we couldn't be content because how can, you, how can you be fully satisfied in something that's lacking, if you understand what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> But (laughs) since we have given a, a, a definition of what contentment is and isn't, now we're going to talk about what brings us into a state of discontentment. So discontentment grows when we do not trust the Lord or his love for us. So when we believe lies that the Lord does not have our best interest or maybe that he doesn't care for us, these thoughts can cause us to grow bitter, angry, and even covet our neighbor's blessings and goods, which we know is against uh the commandments of God in the 10 commandments. I think it I think it's the 10th commandment, right? I could be totally off, but it is a commandment. So, yes. do not covet your neighbor's stuff. Um mm-hmm. and <laughs> coveting is super easy for all of us to do. Um and we <laughs> Esther's over here laughing at me. So, we can be tempted to, to compare ourselves to our neighbor and interpret that because we don't have what they have that God we can, we can assume or think that maybe God doesn't love us as much as they love um, our neighbor because we don't have what they have. So in reality, Christ has given us the greatest gift, the greatest act of love that we could ever imagine. And um, I mean, we don't deserve his compassion or mercy, yet Jesus willingly died on the cross for us. Um, I could think of no greater expression of love and care than Jesus' willingness, um, Jesus being willing to die on the cross for us, So, I mean, it's, it's a waste of time for me to look at my neighbor and be, be envious of what they have and not recognize my own blessings that the Lord has specifically given to me. And I mean, I should be thankful for what I have instead of desiring more, because no matter what, the greatest gift that I've been given is salvation. It's a free gift and it's been given to me in abundance and If that's the only thing that I have, I should rejoice in that because I Mm -hmm. am no longer dead in my sins. What greater gift, what greater desire could there possibly be than that? But yet we lose sight of the gospel and we start to chase after things that are worldly and temporal when we know that we're going to go to heaven and this is not our home, yet we act like it's our home. And I I mean, when you really, when you put it that way,
1: it just makes, you know, being discontent like just makes them seem so silly like yeah and it all goes back to like you said like reminding reminding ourselves of the gospel I think I mean if you haven't listened if you guys haven't listened to our gospel episode or our what is the gospel episode mm-hmm. go back and do that as we said on that episode the gospel is not just for the person who's unsaved it's for the Christian because. Mm-hmm. As, as Hannah just explained, like that's that's the ultimate, you know, cure for a discontented heart is to remember how how God has already been so merciful and gracious in giving us the gift of salvation.
0: Mm-hmm. That when you said it's silly, it made me think of something that is silly in my life that I do want. So I have, <laughs> I love books. If you, If you haven't, if you haven't picked up, Esther and I really like to read. So yes. I- I have a lot of bookshelves in my house and a lot of books that need a home. Okay. So <laughs> I need a set. I need a like fifth bookshelf and we have the fifth. I need a fifth bookshelf. We have this spot on our wall and I've, it's a bookshelf would be like $170. We don't have like $170 of spare money to go buy a bookshelf mm-hmm. for books. Mm-hmm. And I sit in my living room and I have to fight discontentment over a th- like it's the third bookshelf in the living room. I have two in our bedroom. Uh-huh. And so my husband always, my husband always says this to me and it always makes me <laughs> laugh. I'll sit and I will go, mm, I really need, uh, or I really want, uh, and I always say it like that. And he always goes, stop saying you need a, And stop, stop saying you want to, you don't need, or want to any of those things. <laughs> I'm like, but what in a third bookcase looks so nice. But like you're saying, like it'd be, it's so silly. I literally could drive home today and die. Lord willing, I do not, but it could happen. Uh And what, what a waste of time to be worried about a bookshelf when I'm going to have (laughs) it anyway, (laughs) but I do love books. So one day I will get another bookshelf. I just want you all to know, but (laughs) currently in our circumstances in life, it wouldn't be practical. So if I were to chase after that bookshelf, I would be, I would be causing harm. And so the next story that I actually have kind of shows what would happen if I let like my bookshelf desire get out of hand. (laughs) It could be bad. This is an example more compared to like Esther's story. So Esther had shared the desire to be a mother, which like we already agreed on, it's not a bad desire to want to be a mom. Um, but her example had reminded me of a story of a novel that I just finished, uh, last month. I forget what it was called, but, um, in the book, the entire book was based around this mother with a long, Well, this woman with a longing to be a mother. And so she, this woman at the beginning of the book had a perfect life. She had a perfect husband who, um, loved her and, um, would have done anything for her. And they were married a year and they decided that they wanted to start trying to have a baby. So, um, what started out as this, um, uh, joyful expectation and loving relationship with eagerness to welcome a baby soured in, um, crushed expectations. So the couple struggled to conceive and the story follows that this woman, uh, or the story, the story follows how the woman, um, how her desires turned into just absolute wickedness. She took a job at a local hospital to see the babies in the nursery. She fantasized about taking a child that was not her own. She attempted to take a child that was not her own. She attempted IVF, went into massive debt. She had a miscarriage. I mean, she demanded of her husband things he couldn't provide for. He She required her, him to work harder and, um, and, Uh, she, even at one point he, he told her she didn't want, he didn't want to do IVF anymore. And she said, fine, I'll just find a donor. And the IVF center like refused her. Like she was so desperate at any, like any price to get a baby. And, um, so she, her husband had asked her over and over, like the the whole, the whole book, like you could, you, you knew that he was sad and this was affecting him too, but you were only in her head and her her sinful desire to have children at any cost and he had asked her like am I not enough for you and Mm -hmm. I mean she would just ignore him and harbor anger and hatred towards her husband she blamed him for her infertility and it ultimately destroyed her marriage in the story they separate um for a time so I mean at the end of the book uh she realized her pursuit of having a baby at any cost had left her completely, utterly broken and depressed. Um, She was seduced by a man who was not her husband and she ended up conceiving a baby. And uh, her husband returned to her And when she was pregnant and asked to make things right, but in her shame and guilt, she refused him. Um, Mm -hmm. And she realized at the end of her life, she had raised her daughter without a father. And the man who loved her more than anything in the world was willing to be there and raise her daughter. Um, She saw how her selfishness and deep longing led her to destroy relationships and live a sad and unfulfilled life, even with her daughter. She was still, she still carried so (laughs) much brokenness and guilt over what she had done. Um, and realized even having a baby didn't fix her discontented heart. So, I mean, this book was not a Christian book. It's not like the author was writing the, the perfect discontented woman, but that was the first thing that I thought of when I, when I had read the example that Esther was thinking about sharing and, um, I mean, if this was a, a Christian book on Christian contentment, instead, we would have seen a woman who desired a child. Um, she would have mourned her empty womb. She would have prayed to God to fill her womb. She would have still been honest with her husband and friends about her trial. But with patient endurance, she would have waited on the Lord.
1: She would not have tried to or contemplated stealing somebody's baby.
0: <laughs> well, she she did in the story. She had stolen. Yeah. She would sit on this bench in the story in mm-hmm. front of this dance studio every day and watch these little three-year-old ballerinas walk past because she couldn't handle being in her own thoughts sitting at home. So every uh-huh. single day she'd go on a walk and she'd sit on this bench and think about this little girl And the she was like the little runt of the litter and she would just (laughs) fantasize about stealing her and she at one point did she took the little girl and tried to take her to the car but the mother saw her and stopped her and then one of her friends in the story had all these children who she hated like she was a mother who was discontent with her children and so of course the mother the mother the woman who longed to have children hated this Mm. woman Because here's a woman who doesn't even love her children. So like in it, you get her perspective of like, I would take her children and love these children. Like this woman doesn't deserve her children. And when she had her fourth baby and it ended up being a girl because she had three little boys and she was very discontent Mm -hmm. and she had boys. Even when she got the little girl, she still wasn't content. And the main character was like, I'm going to steal this little baby. I'll just walk out of the hospital. She won't even know. She doesn't even love her children. Like it was so crazy. Wow. see like the turmoil in this woman's mind. Yeah. Um, but if this woman had been a Christian and if this had been a Christian book, um, we would have instead seen a woman who patiently endured her suffering and she would have patiently waited on the Lord. Even if she never had a child, she would have been able to be content. We hear the story and we're like, how could she be content? How? Like this story's crazy. Um I mean, how could a woman who doesn't, who doesn't have her greatest longing fulfilled ever be content? And mm-hmm. the Bible shows us that she can be content. I mean, we see this woman, we're like, we can relate to her. And we're like, this is impossible. But I mean, we must say in a great, like we have to agree with scripture that God is good, that God is enough, that God is sovereign and that God doesn't owe us anything and we have to remind ourselves that he still loves us and all things happen for our good in his glory so he's not leaving us in our condition and not like mindful of our frame he loves us like he's not withholding anything from us out of spite Mm -hmm. or anger or I mean because I've had women before who um I knew a gal who she had had an abortion and um she then got pregnant with another baby later on in her life and wanted this baby and her baby miscarried. And she had told me like, I feel like God is punishing me because I murdered my first baby. So he's not allowing me to be a mother. And like, that's such mm-hmm. a wrong view of God because yeah. he's not punishing you. You've, you've like, you, you're, you you've moved from death to life. Like you've been forgiven yeah. and he's not, he's not like a. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a little bit off to- off the point I was originally making, but it was just something that <laughs> popped in my head. Um, but I mean, contentment grows out of trust in God. We all experience suffering and hardships in this life. We all will. The Bible tells us we will. Life is hard and it is full of sorrows. So we are still told in Scripture to rejoice in trial. Melissa Kruger also said in her teaching series, um, she said, "This is not a theory. It is real life intersecting real truth, and that is what we have to consider when we talk, talk about this um, when we talk about this topic of contentment. It's not a Pollyanna. put a smile on our face and pretend to be happy. We want something much deeper than that. We want something much stronger than that." So, um, when I, I know I'm talking a lot, I'll let Esther talk soon, (laughs) but when I was talking to my husband about this topic, we were talking about how, um, suffering and contentment are not in opposition. So he had reminded me of, um, Horatio Spafford who had penned the beautiful hymn. It is well with my soul. So Horatio's life, um, during Horatio's life, he, it's very similar to Job is what it kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of. He had lost his only son at four years old to the scarlet fever. During the Chicago fire, uh, he lost all of his assets. Um, so now he has a dead son and no assets later on in his life, his daughter, his four daughters and his wife, they were all going to go to England on a vacation. Horatio had been delayed. He had something that had come up and he insisted to his wife, you and the girls continue on to England. I will follow you in a couple of days. So with much convincing, they got on the ship and they went to England and on their way to England, the, um, the ship had an accident and it was actually the worst accident, um, to ever happen with mm-hmm. like a large boat um, until the Titanic. I It was something like 220 people or so had died in this yeah. um, shipwreck and uh, he had gotten a telegram or a, saw in the newspaper a couple days later what had happened and his wife had written him a letter and said, I've survived and what should I do now? Because she has lost all of her children. All five of her children are dead and now she's in a country all by herself without her husband. So he boarded a um, ship and went to go be with his wife. And um, as they were on the water, the captain had um, said to him, this was the spot where, the shipwreck occurred and as they were passing over the spot where his four daughters had died that was where he penned um the great hymn it is well with my soul and so i i after like reading the story again i was familiar with it but i didn't know all the details i listened to the song um and it it made me cry because i it's great the words (laughs) are just they're a it's just a worship song. Like he is praising God and he's saying it is well with my soul, even though he has lost everything. And we kind of think to ourselves, like, how can it be well with my soul? If a situation like that happened to me? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I love the, the line. Um, and I actually thought about it whenever I was, you know, thinking about my thoughts for Mm -hmm. this podcast, the, the line that says, whatever my lot he has taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul and it's like whatever my lot like whatever whatever god you know gives us in life you know to be to be content in that and then to to look to the lord and say it's well
0: <laughs> and he's 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 saying that like cuz taught my heart it's a learned thing so he's uh-huh. expressing real christian contentment Like, to Mm -hmm. me, this is the perfect example of what genuine Christian contentment is. I could not think of a better example. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and I mean, Horatio was able to respond in this way because, I mean, by the strength God supplied, Mm -hmm. um, he helped him, and he'll help us to worship him in the midst of great sorrow. Um, my husband also pointed out to me uh, Psalm 42 as another example of wrestling in sorrow yet hoping in God. We're not going to read it because we d- we don't have time, but I would encourage you to go read it when you have an opportunity. Um, and then I have one more quote, and then I promise I will let Esther talk, and I'll stop talking. <laughs> Cause I'm not, I'm very long winded, but, uh, this is also by Jeremiah Burroughs. This, the book that we keep referencing is really good. And I would encourage everyone to read it. Um, he says to be thoroughly sensible of an affliction and to endeavor the removing of it by all lawful means. And yet to be content, there is a mystery in that how to join these two together, to be sensible of it as full as they, and I seek ways to be delivered from it as well as they and yet my heart and yet still my heart abides content this is i say a mystery that is very hard to be understood by a carnal heart but grace does teach such a mixture of sorrow and a mixture of joy together and that makes contentment the mingling of joy and sorrow of gracious joy and gracious sorrow together
1: that's that's wonderful that actually reminds me of um something that john piper said at g3 Mm -hmm. which let me go let me go grab my bible real quick because i gotta look it up we went through so many passes passages of scripture at g3 that it's like everything's blending together (laughs) oh here it is okay so what um hannah what you just read really Mm -hmm. reminded me of what We heard from uh, John Piper at G3. He, he uh, spoke, he preached out of um, Philippians chapter two, verses 17 through 18. Mm -hmm. Um, And there it says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And the um backstory that Piper gave with this was the the fact that whenever Paul was writing this, he was an old man. And him saying that tell saying that even if he is to be poured out as a drink offering, he was nearing death. And in other other places of scripture that he pointed to, it showed he showed that um that as he was nearing death, he recognized that it was very likely that you he would his life would end in martyrdom and um the the piece that really reminded me of what you said was the i am glad and rejoice with you all he was he had a gladness and a joy about him in his affliction and at the same time though he was also sorrowful so it's not just as as uh burroughs was saying the you can you don't have to be you don't have to choose between being content and being sorrowful the two can happen simultaneously it's not to say that like we're not saying okay you have to be content you can't mourn you can't have sorrow it's saying that you have a time for sorrow you know you have a time to grieve you know in your in your struggle um in Paul's case here he was knowing he knew that he that death was was close to him and at at one point he was sorrowful and it all but it always turned into being content and seeing the joy that he would want you know Mm -hmm. after
0: death he would pass to life in Mm -hmm. in eternity with christ that also reminds me of i mean jeremiah burroughs also mentions elsewhere in that book talking about it's also not like this stiff-necked like you're just, you're, you're emotionless. Like Mm. we have, we are emotional creatures, not talking Mm -hmm. about emotionalism, but we have emotions (laughs) and Jesus, I mean, expressed so many emotions. You also talking about John Piper. It's interesting because the entire time I was writing, um, like our layout and thinking through everything. Um, I mean, I was always super when I, early in my walk, when I came more to Reformed theology and Piper was one of my stepping stones in that. And the, the gateway drug, the gateway drug and <laughs> Piper always talks about Christian hedonism. And um, I always think back to that prosperity video on YouTube that talks about <laughs> like when the child flies out the window and through the deepest possible pain, you still say God, yeah. is God is good. And I mean, yeah. I, I had to look up the definition of Christian hedonism because I'm like, why is that even coined? Cause to me yeah. it sounds like Christian hedonism and contentment. Are similar because Piper always says, "Like God is most glorified yeah. in us when we're most satisfied in Him," and that's kind of the argument that we're making. Like, be be satisfied in Jesus, and then you'll be content. Um, you'll learn contentment more so. Uh-huh. But yeah, that's what a lot of similarities.
1: The um, Christ, Christian hedonism was uh, was uh, what Piper was talking about. Okay, for his
0: for his message. So you're right on. Pepper loves to talk about Christian hedonism. I think it's It's, like his favorite thing. (laughs) Yes. Yes.
1: He is very, I guess, eloquent and speaking on like uniting being sorrowful with being, you know, joyful at the same time, like always turning sorrow into joy in the Lord. It was very, it was a blessing to hear. Good. I'm glad. (laughs) So we're going to look at our perfect example of perfect Christian contentment, Jesus Christ. So we know from scripture that Jesus was a man of sorrows. We know he had deep trouble and pain in his life. We're going to share a story of, um, or the story of Jesus in the garden. There's no one who experienced more trouble in this life and who was more content. So our story, um, Well, not really our story, the Bible story of recording of this account is you can be found, can be found in Luke um, chapter 22, verses 39 through 46. I'm going to read that real quick. It says, And he came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So we see in this historical account several important things about Christian contentment. One, he prayed to the Father. Jesus prayed to the Father. Two, Jesus asked for the cup to be removed, the cup being God's wrath that was about to be poured, you know, poured on him on the cross. Point three, Christ said he still would submit even if the cup wasn't removed. And point four, he was strengthened by an angel. Five, it says that he was in so much anguish that his sweat was like drops of blood. And number six, he rose from prayer and walked into the hands of those who came to crucify him. So we can see this pattern um, and we can do as Jesus did. Jesus suffered more than we will ever begin to fathom. He understands our afflictions. So when we're in trouble, we need to pray. It is okay to ask for our circumstances to be changed or for the Lord to give us something we long for. But we must be willing to submit even when it doesn't happen. We see Jesus strengthened by an angel. We too can be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. He was in in anguish, and we also experience anguish. But we must rise, and we must submit and obey our Lord. Jesus is the example of perfect submission, perfect obedience, perfect trust, and perfect contentment. He is our great example and our great Savior. Though we will never obtain perfection in this life, we can look to our Savior and follow his pattern. It is also crucial that we are in the word of God. How can we know Christian contentment if we do not seek what the scripture says about it? So going back to the example of riding a bike, if you don't have a bike, you have nothing to ride on. So the Bible is our bike.
0: It's not the greatest <laughs> example, but I feel like it kind of makes a point. Because yeah. If you don't good, this have, if you do not have a bike, how are you going to learn how to ride a bike? And if you don't have yeah. a Bible, you would never be able to learn <laughs> Christian contentment because there, Christian contentment is only found in scripture. Good. Okay. Okay. So, I gotcha. Gotcha. I'm tracking. I'm tracking. That my was team. my example that Esther's reading. That's <laughs> why she's like, mm, I'm not so sure if I agree with that. <laughs> right so so like the bike the
1: bible takes us where we want and it is what god's given us to equip ourselves so that we know how to live jesus cares about our joy let us be thankful and content people who worship and praise our good god so melissa kruger had also mentioned that joy peace and thanksgiving are fruit are the fruit of contentment let us abide in the vine that is Christ. And let us pray with thankful hearts that he will teach us the secret of Christian contentment.
0: And we just want you to remember that the world tells us to find joy and contentment in temporal things of the world, our children, our husbands, um, the amount of money in our bank account or the job we have, whatever it may be, success in the eyes of the world is to have good things in abundance and free of pain and trial. But we will never be satisfied in the things of this world, and we will always be left disappointed and hoping for more. As King Solomon repeats again and again in Ecclesiastes, all is vain, a striving after the win. We know that life is but a vapor and that it is appointed for man to die. So finding our worth, value, and identity in things that will eventually pass away is meaningless. Finding joy, happiness, and contentment in the temporal will always leave us craving for more, and it tempts us to covetousness, which is sin. The Bible teaches us that the Lord is forever and that he is our portion and treasure. We're told to store up treasure in heaven, and we are encouraged to keep perspective that life will one day end. So we encourage you to cling to Jesus. He loves you. He died for you. And he has control over all the circumstances in your life and all the things you have or don't have. We thank you for joining us as always. And we pray that this episode blessed you.
1: Remember to like, share, and rate our podcast on iTunes. We also appreciate if you'd leave us recommendations on our Facebook page. We noticed that you guys have been liking and sharing. So keep up with that. Um, rating our podcast really helps us reach other women. Lord willing, we hope to talk about the Trinity on our next episode. We believe it is a vital doctrine and we hope to offer cle- offer a clear explanation on what the true in God is. We will leave you guys with Philippians 3.8. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. God bless and we hope you join us next time.